Warm Regards is supported by Wonder Capital, an award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest directly in solar energy projects across the U.S. Earn up to 8.5% annually while diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com warm. That's wondercapital.com warm. Wonder Capital, do well and do good. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Warm Regards, a dialogue between the climate scientists, journalists, and people on the front lines of climate change. I'm Eric Holthouse in Tucson, Arizona. This week, we're going to do a special show focused on Hurricane Matthew, quite possibly on its way to becoming one of the most destructive hurricanes in U.S. history. To help discuss Matthew and its climate context, I'm joined by Carrie Emanuel, a meteorologist and climate scientist who specializes in hurricane physics. Carrie, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. So since weather records began in 1851, um, it's kind of hard to believe, but there has not been a hurricane of Matthew's strength of a Category 4 that has ever hit land uh, in Florida, north of West Palm Beach, all the way to the Georgia border. That's a long stretch of coastline. Uh, So the forecast, the latest forecast for Matthew is hurricane force winds of up to 140 miles an hour across most of of Florida's east coast, an 8 to 11 foot storm surge, and that is big enough to wash away homes and remake the state's beaches along this big stretch of coastline. Waves of up to 30 feet could scour the shore. And a quick analysis uh, of this coastal flooding threat shows a return period something less than once every 500 years. So this is a very rare event, and it's really sort of complicated to try to figure out how rare it is. And that's one thing we'll want to talk about with with Carrie uh, um, in in a little bit. Um, Two million people are under a mandatory evacuation order right now. And this is... um, I'm coming, you know, we're recording this on Thursday, the day that the the hurricane is likely to make landfall later today. So this is sort of the last minute, you know, everyone is hunkering down that hasn't already left. And all told, you know, from Florida to Georgia to South Carolina, this is the biggest evacuation for a hurricane since Sandy in the United States. So this is a big deal. If Florida's disaster preparedness officials wanted to script a worst case scenario for the state, it would look a lot like Hurricane Matthew. And it's just honestly a little bit scary right now to to, to know that this is actually happening. Um, so, Carrie, <laughs> what does a storm like Matthew mean for the future of Florida? Well, Matthew is uh, a reminder that Florida is very susceptible to hurricanes. And as sea level continues to rise... Uh, that susceptibility goes up. And that has to be viewed in the framework of the fact that more and more people are moving to the coastline, including the coast of Florida. Yeah. In, in, so with, with the people moving there, you know, they're building homes, they're building infrastructure. We're, we're kind of hunkering down in, um, in a time, you know, if you take climate change forecasts and projections seriously in a time where we need to start think about thinking about taking a step back from that hard infrastructure on the coast 
in in the sense knowing that that there will be other hurricanes like Matthew in the years to come? Well, you know, our memory, individual memory, and our collective memory is short. And uh, there hasn't been a major hurricane making landfall in the U.S. in uh, over 10 years, although Sandy, though not technically a major hurricane, was certainly very destructive. And 10 years doesn't seem like very long, but people forget. And uh, there are all kinds of policies in place that encourage them and indirectly or directly subsidize them to build in dangerous places. So it seems to be a recipe to be periodically clobbered by these storms. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about flood insurance and other um, building restrictions? or Well, there are three uh, main ways we subsidize. One is, you just mentioned, federal flood insurance. So any water damage from storm surge or freshwater flooding is not typically covered by private insurance policies, but by the federal government through the National Flood Insurance Program. And premiums for that program don't really reflect the risk in, you know, Insurance premiums are one important way that homeowners and others get the signal that there's someplace risky. And if you go to the beach and build a condo and it doesn't cost that much to insure it, well, it mustn't be too risky. Uh, so so we're, that's one way. The Another way is that states regulate insurance, which they must because we have to insure solvency. But in many states, the insurance uh, commissioners actually cap premiums. And uh, that's because of political pressure from coastal homeowners. So the premiums, again, aren't allowed to reflect the risk. And finally, when we do get clobbered, uh, the federal government comes in typically with massive aid. And there's not much contribution to that aid by the homeowners themselves. So there are all kinds of ways we underwrite risk. We shouldn't be surprised that in promoting risky behavior, people follow suit and we have lots and lots of people living in not very strong structures in very dangerous places. So you know, the bottom line is we can end up with another multi-billion storm that may not change a whole lot in because the system is set up to reinforce people living on the coastline or to make it easier than it otherwise should be if we are to take climate change seriously. Various groups um, have tried to quantify this. What does that mean? I mean, climate's changing. Um, Sea level is going up, which all by itself uh, increases the risk, but also the climatology of hurricanes is changing. And um, there is a report called Risky Business that you may have seen that was issued a few years ago where there was an honest attempt to quantify this. And if you put increasing sea level and changing hurricane climatology together, you're looking at as much as $80 billion a year in additional hurricane damages by the end of the century if we don't do anything to curb emissions. Wow. And and you've done a lot of work, too, in in sort of quantifying that changing hurricane climatology. Where do do you think Matthew fits in on that? And I know it's difficult to talk about a single storm in span of, you know, hundreds of years of of, um, hurricane records that we have. Um, But it, you know, at, at one point, Matthew was one of the most um, one, one of the most extreme, rapidly intensifying hurricanes that we that we know of in the Atlantic Basin. It was also at one point the southernmost Category Five hurricane. Um, it, it's had it's had the most um, cumulative energy released uh, 
I think for any storm on record in the Caribbean, I mean, there's a there's a long list already before even the hurricane hits Florida uh, of records that this um, that this specific specific storm ha- has ha- has broken. Um, where where does that rank in, and what what you expect to happen? Well, I think it's important to note that in the Atlantic, in contrast to many other parts of the world. Um, there, there was a real strong decline of hurricane activity from the 1940s or 50s into the 1970s and 80s. And then an equally rapid, perhaps slightly more rapid, increase in hurricane activity from the 80s until now. Um, and this has been variously ascribed to a natural oscillation of the climate of the North Atlantic and to another man-made effect, which is sulfate aerosols. When we were burning a lot of coal and oil back in the 60s and 70s, and before that, we weren't burning it very cleanly. And one of the emissions products is sulfur, which undergoes a chemical reaction in the atmosphere to form a kind of particle that we see as haze. And it's reflective, it reflects sunlight back to space and cools. And a lot of us, and I'm among them, think that Uh, The sulfates, which peaked in the North Atlantic region in the 70s and 80s, were the uh, cause of a kind of hurricane drought. Sea surface temperatures were depressed, hurricanes were way off, and that when the sulfates started to go away in the 80s, the hurricanes came roaring back. Uh, So we can look at Matthew in that context. One of the problems is that during the hurricane drought, of course, there was an extraordinary boom of coastal development, particularly in the U.S. And um, now, the, now the hurricanes are back, and I'm talking about the decadal time scale, you know, from the mid-90s until now, with the exception of the last uh, 10 years in the U.S. It hasn't been quiet in the Atlantic, but the U.S. has been lucky. We're sort of back to normal, and we're still not adapting to that. And um, Global warming is, in some senses, a prelude to global warming. We don't really think the increase over the last 30 years has much to do with global warming, but it's the kind of increase we're going to see more of going forward, according to theory and models, uh, if we don't uh, change what we're doing. So, so Kerry, um, reading a lot of news stories so far about Matthew, it, I haven't seen that thread come up that often that, you know, we are increasing our vulnerability on the coast the same time that the climate context is changing. And it seems like in, you know, quote, unquote, mainstream, (laughs) mainstream media, um, they don't often draw that climate context into coverage of the storm. Um, What's your opinion on that? I mean, should should this be something that we you know, talk about responsibly as a fundamental component of all hurricane coverage at this point? Is it that much of a, of a part of the story that's happening right now? Or is it still sort of too early to draw the climate connection to individual storms? I think it's natural for journalists and for people in general to be really focused on the threat at hand. And that's appropriate, right? You want to get people out of harm's way. You want them to pay attention to the risk that's right in front of them. Um, And we're programmed as a species to respond to short-term threats. We're not real good at responding to long-term threats, but 
in my view, in the wake of Matthew, when it's all over and the dust is beginning to settle, it would be an excellent opportunity to remind people that we do need to worry about the long term. There are the confluence of two trends is extremely worrying. One of them is rising sea level, and the other is increasing, increasing coastal populations. Even if hurricanes themselves don't change, that's a recipe for more and more hurricane disasters as we go forward. And you know, we need to pay attention to that, and we need to do something about it precisely when we're not worried about the immediate threat of a storm about to, to uh, strike land. Yeah, and this is sort of the, the whole crux of talking about climate change in general is that there's never, you know, as, as Andy Revkin, our co-host, has said in previous episodes, there's never a moment when you can say climate change happened today and it happened in Savannah, Georgia. You know, it, it's it's not something that comes up and slaps you in the face that often. And if we do, you know, in my view, if we do have something like a landfalling hurricane where there has been, you know, about a foot of sea level rise in the last 100 years, um, that is a necessary thing to include, at least in a paragraph about the context of this hurricane. And, um, you know, I agree that there will be a lot more space for talking about that in um, the days to come, you know, after um, after people are safe and um, people are rebuilding. Um, it, it's something that this is not a Florida problem. This is a whole uh, United States, you know, an American problem um, it, it, for the reasons that you've outlined already, Carrie. You know, we're subsidizing coastal populations and those coastal populations are becoming more and more at risk of of storms like Matthew and of um, the general threat of rising seas. And you know, it is also a social issue. Um, as we see from Haiti to the United States, when a place gets clobbered, the people who die and are injured are often from the poorest segments of society. They're the people who live near the coast who are working typically for or with, you know, people, uh, well, better off people, uh, but they have to live nearby, they get clobbered. This happened uh, in Katrina, famously, and also in Sandy. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's a very important issue, and, and we need somehow to begin to focus on it. Yeah, and we're at that moment today when, when meteorologists are, are sort of, you know, talking over each other to, to sort of say, you know, if you're not leaving, then you're putting your life at risk and the life of, of others at risk. But, you know, as, as you said, you know, as we learned very, very painfully during Katrina, there are a lot of people that just physically can't leave during a hurricane, even if they want to, they don't have the money to. It costs, you know, several hundred to maybe a thousand dollars, according to one um, estimate I, I heard this morning from um, Susan Cutter at uh, in South Carolina uh, was on NPR this morning talking about this problem, saying that um, the problem of social vulnerability in this country is in, in much way, in, in many ways, sort of, it, it complicates the issue of hurricanes and who evacuates and who stays safe and who doesn't. And it, it, it's just hard you know, in these sort of hours before a hurricane hits, 
to know that people's lives will be forever changed and there's not much that we can do in in this moment other than you know prepare for the next storm it almost seems like some of those terrible nightmares a lot of us have where we're watching some disaster like a train wreck in slow motion and we're paralyzed and we can't help anybody or do anything it kind of it's a terrible sense of frustration but yeah it's there yeah um so I think we'll just leave it there. There is so, so much more to say about this, about vulnerability, about the future, about hurricanes and what we are doing to make them worse inadvertently and um, with our continued emissions. And, and this is not a story that will go away anytime soon, but we wanted to highlight uh, with Matthew on the way the, the complexities that that climate change brings to, to people, um, especially the most vulnerable. So uh, that's it for our bonus episode. We'll catch you next time when Kate Shepard of the Huffington Post will co-host with Andy and Jacqueline, and they will be talking about the election. Um, something else with there is a lot to talk about. So thank you for listening. For warm regards, I am Eric Holthouse. We'd like to thank Wonder Capital for their support of Warm Regards. You can directly invest in solar projects across the U.S. and earn up to 11% annually. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com warm. That's wonder with a U, wondercapital.com warm. Do well and do good.